From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 169, and today I'm sitting down with Ken Cooperus, a returning guest who, amongst many other writing credits, is the creator of Hudson and Rex. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. Kind of. So we're sitting down to watch, uh, through isolation, The Heartbreak Kid. I'm Jeremy, and I have never seen this film. I'm Ken, and I. this is a favorite of mine, uh from my early 20s but i probably haven't seen it in about 20 years so we were just talking uh before i started recording about how we uh we decided to watch this movie i i I, this has been on my list to watch for a long time a lot of like my you know comedic superhero that i follow uh reference this is one of the best comedies of its time and so i've always meant to watch it but could never find a copy and even when ken and i tried to find it for this, we realized the only way to watch it was through this probably, you know, very illegal YouTube link that's up. But I mean, I'd be happy to rent it or buy it on iTunes. It's just simply not there. Yeah, that's right. And Ken was just saying, this is kind of like one of those casualties of our modern era. Yeah. It's, um, there are so many movies that, uh, that are just going to be forgotten, completely forgotten about. And some of them are bigger movies. There's a, um, there was a great podcast. Go ahead. Oh, no, you go. There was a really good podcast. And if I can tr- find it, I will uh, tweet it out at some point. I can't remember the name of it. It came out a year ago and it was talking about like the casualty of Netflix and how there's all these movies from like the seventies and the eighties that were owned by like these smaller distribution companies. And now nobody knows who owns them. Like they're just kind yeah. of lost in the ether. And so, they can't put them up on streaming services because the rights are kind of confused and lost. And so they're just mm-hmm. kind of lost. They're just lost in time to like confusing ownership rights. Yeah. Like, and there's so many movies like that. Freebie and the Bean is a favorite of mine. And it was finally sort of released on Warner Brothers um, um, archive collection a few years ago. But before that, it, it was just non-existent. And I'm still waiting for um, a Blu-ray of tape heads which is like one of my all-time favorite movies and almost impossible to find. Um, I think in the U.S. it's on Amazon, but we, we don't have it here, unfortunately. Yeah, I've slowly um, been upgrading. On, on uh, Screen Factory, they just announced a movie, I think Screen Factory, or maybe it was Kino, I'm not sure, um, a movie called Grunt, which is a, a wrestling movie that, I, that just, when I saw the cover, it took me back 30 years as a movie I desperately wanted to see when I was young, um, based on the commercials and everything. And I, and, I, and I saw it back then, and I completely forgot about it until I saw that thing yesterday. And I was like, how did I not remember this movie? 
Someone did, and someone tracked it down and found the rights. Yeah, that that's a labor of love right there. That's somebody fighting the good fight and going. Some I got to find the rights to this movie, and I'm sure they bought it for a dollar to put it on uh, on Kino or Shout or wherever it was you found yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I got to get in that business. <laughs> well, bless those people that are doing that. I mean, you know, in Canada, Unobstructed View is kind of the champion of all that kind of stuff right now. They're the ones that partnered with Criterion, and they do. Uh, they have a whole bunch of those, like those labels that they kind of specialize in. So uh, bless yeah. those people. I mean, the nice thing is there's very few of them around. So the ones that are able to do that and, and amass enough of them can make it work by having enough of those li- li- labels right. to support them. But it's, uh, it's fascinating and it's too bad. Like I have a VHS collection that I've slowly been upgrading over time to uh you know blu-ray and dvd through stuff like you know the beat goes on and other websites whenever they come up but Mm -hmm. there's still about uh probably a dozen or two vhs's that i can't find digital copies of probably because they don't exist right or they're so far out of print and you know the one dvd i could find someone wants a hundred dollars for and it's i just can't justify that cost even though I don't think we have a functional VCR around, although there might be one here at the farm that I could track down to play it on if I wanted to. Yeah. You look like you have very pretty nails tonight. Thanks. My daughter, uh, this was one way of keeping my kids from killing each other for half an hour one day during isolation. Uh, she, I was like, what can I do to you know, keep you happy for the next hour before screen time starts? And she's like, I want to paint your nails. And I was like, done. I don't, uh, I just couldn't not care less. <laughs> they look great. And, I'm not going to lie. I kind of like them. I, uh, (laughs) so, uh, I, I, all I know about this movie really is, um, you know, it was remade by the Fairley brothers. I never saw that. I don't know if it was, you know, panned or critically heralded or what it was. I assume it was somewhere in the middle. I'm not sure either, but you know what? It's actually a pretty decent movie. Um, the Fairley brothers one. It is. Yeah. They They did good work. It's silly, you know, it's silly in the same way there's something about Mary is silly, but it's got a great cast. It's, you know, uh, Mackie, or what's her name, um, Ackerman, uh, Molly Ackerman? Mal- Molly Ackerman, yeah, Canadian. Yeah. And um, uh, Michelle Monaghan yep. and uh, Ben Stiller are the threesome. And you'll know once you watch um, this ver- the version we're going to watch tonight, you'll know exactly which characters they all play. <laughs> amazing i can't yeah, wait it's uh, it's actually a lot of fun we, yeah it's, uh, it's more of a like you know it's more of a traditional romantic comedy where this original is kind of an anti-romantic comedy yeah i think like don't tell me if i'm right or wrong but i the only thing and i think i just got this from the fairly brothers trailer when it came out like i'm assuming if it's you know uh a remake of that proper it's about like kind of like a woman's man a woman, a womanizer type who finally settles down with what he thinks is a, a nice, stable girl. Uh, and she turns out to be a nightmare and then, fi- and then finds the right woman. Okay. Well, uh, we'll that's what I, that's what I, my, my, the, 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 my brain recalls from the trailer I saw like 10 years yeah. ago of the remake. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, that's but, all I got. I mean, uh, yeah. We'll talk about it after. All right. Well, then let's just do it. I'm very, this one has been on my list for a long time. I am very excited to watch this. I can't wait to see it again. I don't even, uh, I remember, I've probably seen it 20 times, but it's been so long that I think I'm going to pick up some new stuff for sure. Oh, great. All right. Well, we'll be right back. 
Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right. So we just finished. So you said you wanted to rewatch some scenes. What scenes did you rewatch? Oh, I love watching the breakup scene. So uh, good. This is such a crazy scene. That pecan pie bit is amazing. It, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> that scene is just so great. Um, and uh, I rewatched the last scene um, with the dinner and then the, the private meeting with, with uh, the dad. What a um, crock of shit. <laughs> no, there's no deceit in the cauliflower. It was like one of my favorite lines that I totally forgot about. As soon as he said it, I was like, oh my God, that was like the best line I'd ever heard. It's so good. Yeah. Oh man. Just had a great time. Yeah. It's interesting. The, um, cause this is Neil Simon, but it's rare in the sense that it's not, it's an adaptation, but not of his own work and it's not an original mm-hmm. by him. So this is must, must be like the unicorn, uh, Neil Simon piece. And you can tell because it's not, um, it's not structured like a play. No, like this, this does not feel like it's a theater piece. No, although you can see how it could be, you could make a stage version out of this if you wanted to. Absolutely, absolutely. But it doesn't feel like it was, um, you know, it doesn't feel like it was written that way. No, so good. Yeah, Um, so it's so. Oh man, I just love it. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting uh, as a first-time viewer, and this is you know, this movie is 1972. So, uh, and it's Elaine May. Now, this is, she only made like what, three or four films, I believe. I believe she, yeah, directed three. This and um, Mikey and, Leaf and Ish- Oh, no, and Mikey and Nikki, there's four. Oh, four, four, right. Yeah, Mikey and Nikki I've seen um, a couple times. I really like that one. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there's something really tra- – I mean, it's really interesting uh, – I did like the ending, although I will say I got so much joy out of like just how painful and hard it was for Groden because, you know, what he's doing is so shitty, just so he's shitty. Person. He's as bad a person as Albert Brooks in, in is in modern romance or uh, modern romance. Yeah. You know, he's such a terrible person and you but just the, root for him. You root for it all to go wrong on every level. And it doesn't really, but that's what makes it wrong. It does go wrong to some extent. I mean, he, but he's also like, he's willing to, he never like, he admits that he's wrong. He gives her everything in the divorce. He doesn't try to be a dick that way. So there's like, there's some parts to him. There's also a lot. This is a guy who's just, he can never be happy, right? Like he can never be satisfied. Like that ending is so perfect of him sitting alone on the couch because you just going to, you know, it's a pattern, you know, the whole thing's going to play out again. Yeah, he's not, he doesn't know what he actually wants. He just chases, he's yeah. chasing something he can't ever get or describe. And so because of that, he's going to live a life of just nonstop pain. Yeah. Uh, what is, I love that it's like, oh, I want to put stuff back into the ground. It's like, oh, like farming? No, no, not farming. It's like, oh, what do you mean? Like, you don't even know what the fuck you mean. Like, you're just <laughs> so, saying words. He is. Like, it's such a great scene because he's just, is that whole everything he's saying is designed to try to impress and like you know it's so clear that the father is not having any of it yeah he's so good the father character is yeah. my favorite character probably because he's just never he's just so authentic and oh, just does not give a shit yeah. i will say i was kind of yeah like 
The one downside to the movie for me was I didn't, I mean, I got a sense enough that it's like Sybil Shepherd was infatuated by him, thought he was interesting. Yeah. I didn't feel like they had this real spark, which I liked because he felt like a bit of a stalker when he showed up. I think that was part of it. Like, you know, it was like, it was the typical thing of we're away, you know, my parents have taken me away for the week and I'm just going to be, and I'm 18 and I'm just going to be frivolous and, and, you know, and then when he shows up, it's kind of like that moment of, uh, um, oh, like this was never supposed to, you know, this was always supposed to like end the minute I got back on the plane and left. But Yeah, he know. has that great line in the car where he's like, I'm a schmuck. And it's yeah. too bad. Like I would have loved it. I would have loved a version of this too where that was it and his life blew up. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you know, she wasn't interested in him. And he just had to figure out what to do next. And that would have worked for me, too, as an ending. It's very similar to this. It just almost felt like, although there is something nice. With I think the-, the worst punishment is that, is that it worked for him. I think, I think it's a much worse punishment, punishment that he's now exactly trapped in the same spiral that he was in, you know, two weeks earlier. But it's worse because this father is not going to fucking yeah. put up with it. He's not, right. like, going to get away with it the way he did the last time. Like, he kind of <laughs> got off easy with his yeah. first wife. Uh, but it works really nicely because the moment they, they start on their trip and she's just like fiddling with his chest hair and he's just like, please don't like, please just, don't do that. You've been in the, I've been in that relationship where I'm just like, Oh, you're touching me in a way that it's, it's too much. Like we, this is not going to work. Yeah. yeah I mean, he's a, he's a weird guy though. Like he's, you know, he's weirdly stiff. Like he's um, like, he doesn't, he, he's not a super fun guy, you know, like he just seems like he's kind of repressed a little bit. Yeah, he's perfect she, for this though because you of know, that. like she's she seemed like to be honest, like um, um, I thought I thought his first wife was terrific. Like I would be, you know, like she's just a free spirit. She's having a great time. She's a little eccentric, but like uh, I, I thought she was awesome. Like you know, it's it, it, I don't know. There, she was. I think you know she was great. Well, you know, yeah. it wasn't like she was bad or like so annoying that you go, oh my god, yeah, this guy's. What a, you know, the poor guy, you know, I thought she was awesome. Which from the trailer, I remember seeing the Fairley Brothers movie, I feel like they go in that direction just to give you more empathy for him. So it's it's okay that he does that. But I like that about this. I like that, you know, I think that's what makes it work better because it's like, she's fine. He's the problem. Yeah. Like she's totally adorable. And And the thing is, you know, they did a very good job in the, in the first couple of scenes when he first met her to show you that her personality didn't suddenly change. Nope. That was who she was when she's laughing in the bar at his jokes. And she's got that kind of annoying laugh. And like, you know, he's like, kind of like, you can see even then he kind of like senses something, you know, he's, it bothers him a little bit, but he doesn't say anything because we're just dating. But like, it's not like she went from being this, um, you know, uh, amazing woman to just then turning into like this crack crackpot. Yeah, you know, she was who she was the whole time, and I thought she was very sweet and charming. Yeah, no way. No, he he gets everything he deserves and more. Uh, I love that she's like she's always going on about we're going to be together forty and 50, forty to fifty years. Like you know the repetition of that, and just see him every time she says it, it breaks him down a little bit more. Yeah, and then I loved, and I was hoping for that he would echo that to uh, Civil Shepherd later on. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, exactly. and and she wouldn't have it either. I mean, that's the best comeuppance is that she 
feels like he, I mean, another great ending would have been Sybil Shepherd leaving him for somebody else kind of the way, like kind of a, a reoccurrence of the, the pecan yeah. pie scene in yeah. some way. I mean, again, the ending of this movie works really, really, really well. And I just like where it goes. I like that it's not like you said, it's an anti-romantic comedy. It's about a person who just is never going to, he's just not going to learn his lesson. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's clear that Sybil Shepherd is immature and like, you know, that's that relationship's not going to go well for sure. No, she's going to cheat on him. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> for sure i guess neil simon i read somewhere that he wanted diane keaton for that part oh that would have been great it would have been very different um and uh and i think this i remember one of the people that uh i remember hearing like this is jerry seinfeld's favorite movie and you oh, can really? totally you can totally see that yeah yeah that's for sure even in his choices yeah 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 uh, and there was something too. I remember reading at some point about how Neil Simon had something in his contract where they couldn't change any of his dialogue. Oh, really? But Elaine May convinced him to let them shoot two versions of every scene because she's very improvisational. Right. And then Groden said somewhere that after the first week, he stopped coming to set. <laughs> and I don't know if that was just that he's like, you know what? She knows what she's doing. I trust her. Or yeah. it was just like, I can't watch this. <laughs> uh, so it'd be interesting to know uh, to read his script and see how much has changed, if anything. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Boy, I, you know, I'm a huge Charles Grodin fan, and I'm I'm always kind of sad that he 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 kind of slowed down. You know, like I think I think like he should he could still be making movies. You know, these he's just so funny. He's in, he's like he could have the same career as Alan Arkin. You know, just doing these great kind of uh, bit parts, but he, he kind of left. I mean, he still does the odd thing, but he kind of just walked away after a point, right? He started, he got into politics a little bit. and I didn't know that. The last thing I saw him in that I remember was he was on Louis, the series. He played yeah. like the downstairs judge or lawyer, or no, doctor. He played a doctor that lived in the same building as him. He was in uh, like he was in a movie like I don't know if it was You Me and Dupree or The X. I get those two movies confused. Those uh, uh, early two thousands movies. He was in one of them. I think it was You Me and Dupree as someone's dad, and he was and he was like it was great. But it's the same as Michael Keaton in a way, like super funny guy doing these hilarious roles, and then kind of just fell off the face of the earth for a while. Well, Michael Keaton got screwed. Like Michael Keaton was blacklisted. Yeah, yeah. You know, where I think Groden just, I mean even when he was done his little stint on Louie, like he was looking old. Yeah. Well, but, he did taking care of business like in the late eighties, which was, you know, a pretty bad version of trading places with Jim Belushi. Um, and then he kind of just faded away. I wonder if he was like, it makes me think of um, like someone like Daniel Stern, who I, I was lucky to just work with where he's not one of those people that, you know, ended up with any kind of blemished career. Like they started doing all these crappy made for TV movies just to make, just to do something and try to stay relevant. Like, I feel like Groden probably just <clears throat> fell out of love with it. And when something comes along, that's fascinating to him, he does it and he made yeah, enough money that good. he doesn't need to. Like, that's kind of how Danny, Danny Stern is where he's just like, 
He's got enough money. He doesn't need to work yeah. if he doesn't want to. And when yeah. he does, he does it because he likes the material. Yeah, fair enough. I'm just, it's more like a personal regret that, uh, you know, I don't yeah. get to see him in more movies because he's, he's terrific. I, and everything he does, he's like just so dry and funny. But that's great. But I also think that's, that says a lot about him that he knows who he is, what he responds to, and he's not going to do something just yeah. to do something and to be Although, active. I mean, you know, there was a time when he had become kind of like, uh, he did a string of children's movies like Beethoven. And, oh, but Beethoven's great. And, uh, was it? Uh, it was called Clifford, but it wasn't about the dog. It was no. Not- it was the Martin Short one where Martin Short played the. But that's working with interesting people. Even the first Beethoven, yeah. I mean, that would be the closest I think he probably got to slumming it. Yeah. But Beethoven was a childhood favorite for me and my kids. We recently watched that last year and they loved it. Oh yeah, so I, I give. I think so for kids. Yeah. I mean, I guess you watch it and you can see the the cheesiness on the wall, but it's, yeah. it's exactly what it is. And it's unashamedly that and it's fine. Right. Uh, but yeah, so he's, let's talk about, um, um, Elaine May's daughter, um, Jeannie who played, uh, who played the first wife. Okay. Um, she yeah. was nominated for an Oscar for that role. For supporting, I guess. Yeah. Did you know that? She didn't well, win. She was no. nominated. She deserves it. It's, she's she was, great. Yeah. She's great. But that's her. That's Elaine May's daughter. And they did a couple of other things together. But she didn't have a huge career. And she's still alive and she's still working. Um, but she she did another movie in the 70s. I can't remember the title. But it was the, the it was like the character's name. Maybe Elaine even. Something, something is dead and living in New York. And that's another movie that I quite like. A very small relationship uh, comedy drama um, that it has, I don't think it's even had a VHS release. Like it's just disappeared. Uh, that moment where <laughs> he comes back from the bar and she's like, I put cream on and she's just slathered in it. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, no shit. It's like, just like, she's so, I don't want to use the word simple, but she's just so basically who she is right yeah, there's no absolutely. uh there's no absolutely. here's the like, thing. You know, it's with the egg salad all over her face you know she oh god but just like the cauliflower there's nothing dishonest about her <laughs> and there i love uh you know oh, this, uh, i love the way that she wants to believe him so badly when he's telling her the most outrageous lies about how he was in a terrible car accident and like he's got to go to be in court all day the next day and she just says so, like you know, she just says so sweetly, like, uh, were you really in a car accident? Like, you know, he, it's so clear that he's lying, but she's trying so hard to believe him. Oh, and I love later on, I love the setup there where he's going on about Nam and how this guy saved his life and all this other stuff. And then later on when he's talking to the, the family, Nam comes up again, but it, you find out he never even left the country. Because he heard yeah, it back. He just, he just draw. He's like, yeah, I serve my country, not overseas. Yeah, as a recruiter, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I serve yeah. my country, not overseas, because I had a back. Because I had a back issue. Yeah, he hurt his back and he couldn't go to war. Yeah. So just yeah, I mean, there's that's the other stuff that makes him just like this. It's a great character because you don't you, you're rooting for him. Yeah, to fail. You want to see everything blow up in this guy's face. You want to see how bad it gets and how far he'll dig himself in because he's fascinating to watch. And that's all you need in the character. Yeah, you know, I was I wanted to know where this was going. I had no idea where it was going to go, uh, and I just wanted him. 
and and I love how that pecan pie scene works out because the whole time you're watching him go back and you're just like, just cut her loose, man. Like, stop yeah. being clearly you've made up your mind. Uh, yeah. Stop being such a schmuck. I love too that moment when he gets invited to uh, dinner with the other family while they're on the trip. And they cut to the table, and he's like just trying to fit himself into the table. <laughs> he's like he's, clearly like muscled out by her and her dad, and he's just kind of looking over the dad's shoulder. So awkwardly. Watching Jackie Mason. Was that Jackie Mason, I think? I think so, yeah. But it's just wonderful. It's just perfect. It's just like little choices like that. The movie, yeah. like it's just those little things that, you know, I don't know if that's May doing that or if that's scripted or what it is, but it's just there's. It's the film for as as kind of broad as it is, it's it's full of so many small little touches. Like you mentioned the egg salad, but it's just like the way it's just I mean, it's a metaphor for her. It's like the egg salad's always gonna be there. Yeah. She's never gonna wipe it away. She's never gonna notice it's even there. It's yeah. just gonna be there. That's their life together for the next forty or fifty years. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh, it's so it's so fun. Um yeah. And like, you know, it's, it's very, if, you know, I actually forgot it was Neil Simon. And I think that if I started watching it, I would have at some point clicked in because he's got such a specific cadence to his writing um, that I could see Biloxi blues. I could see, you know, Matthew Broderick talking to Christopher Walken in some of those scenes, you know, like the cadence of the dialogue is just so specific to Neil Simon. Yeah, well, Bloxy Blues. I haven't thought about that movie since I was a kid. I remember like that VHS case. And then the day that I was, I, I tricked the person at the video store to let me rent it. <laughs> because it seemed like I such an movie. adult movie. I remember him, he had like a tank top with a, a, a lipstick kiss on his cheek yeah. and dog yeah. tags. I was like, this is an adult movie. I can't wait. <laughs> Ferris Bueller's in an adult movie. Sign me up. Yeah. Uh, really charming. Uh, I mean, now I think I want to check out the Farley Brothers remake just out of curiosity. It's a different movie, you know. Well, it, I hope I would hope it, so. It, it all takes place on like it doesn't go. It doesn't. Well, I, you know, it, it's it's actually it actually is structurally similar, but you know, it's not like it's it's obviously everything is amped up. It's it's uh, it's a Farley Brothers movie. Yeah, There's yeah, no yeah that's fine. A, no, lot no, no. Of, a lot of lame, immature humor that, you know, it'll make you laugh still, but, um, you know, a lot of bad jokes and a lot of slapstick, but still fun. I, I look forward to it. Yeah, I'm going to check it out at some point. It's, uh, I think it's one of my only Fairly Brothers black holes, except for perhaps the second Dumb and Dumber they did. No, oh, just that's a, that shit belongs in the black hole, man. Ooh. Yeah, I, it's funny. I do, we just finally watched that with the uh, the kids, the first one, and uh, and my son, of course, looked it up. He's like, "Dad, there's a sequel." I was like, "Yeah, I guess there is." He's like, "Is it any good?" I was like, "I don't know. I I haven't it's seen not, it. It's not badly. I haven't seen um, it. And I don't want to. I just kind of yeah. want to leave it the unblemished." Yeah, the yeah. first one's so good. Yeah, I just yeah. This can't. Is, I don't know. There's something about these seventy, the look of these like early '70s movies and the soundtrack um, that is just so like comforting. <laughs> you know, like, there's just something. It's very like, graduate. You know, like it's um, it just it just it's like a big blanket over you, just 
cozied in watching it, even though it's like watching movies about horrible people. But at the same time, there's something very like very comforting about it. Yeah. I, I really, really enjoy it. What are some of your other favorite Neil Simon um, stories, movies, however you want to. Um, I like the, uh, I like the, uh, Eugene Jerome movies. So that's, uh, Biloxi blues and, um, and the Jonathan Silverman one. Um, uh, why, why is it escaping me? Um, uh, I can't remember the title of it. It's just falling out of my head. Jonathan Silverman. Yeah, it's uh, it's basically the same character as the character from Bloxy Blues, but a few years before he goes to war, um, living with it in his Jewish parents' house as a as a teenager. Um, dang it, I can't believe I forgot the name of it. It's, I mean, you'll find it right away if you look up Jonathan Silverman. But um, I own it too, and I, I don't know why I can't think of the name of it. Um, and then I like lo- I love the uh, Sweet movies, California Sweet, and. Uh, and uh what's the other one um i don't know i don't know those ones i know like um the odd couple that kind of stuff i i can't say like i'm i like, I like neil simon California suite is basically like it's kind of like um it takes place in a hotel and you're kind of following the uh what's happening in three different rooms of the hotel um and so there, there's three different stories. It's kind of an anthology, but they're, they're kind of wound around each other. Um, and you're just kind of following their separate stories in this hotel. And there's California Suite and then Plaza Suite is the other one. Oh, the Goodbye Girl is amazing. Goodbye Girl is fantastic. Are you looking them up? Do you, did you find yeah, them? I'm just looking at real quick. Oh, God, there's an odd couple TV series somebody made. Yeah, that's the, that's, that, there's been two. Yeah, oof. Uh, oof. First, are you saying oof to the to the Tony Randall uh, John John Cl- or, um, Klugman one? No, was, I haven't seen like, it. That no, was no, no, like, no. as big as Friends in its day. <sighs> oh, was it? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I mean, the new. I just, I'm just, just the idea of like it's too bad they. Uh, I accidentally, I haven't watched it yet because I, I, I'm worried it's going to be terrible. The, um, the Jeff Bridges remake of the Goodbye Girl, the 2004 one. Oh, uh, TV I movie! That. I accidentally picked it up on DVD oh. by accident because I just saw it, and I have the VHS for the Goodbye Girl, and I was yeah. like, "Oh, great!" Got it. Picked it up, brought it home, and then with the cover, and was like, "Oh shit, this is not the Richard <laughs> Dreyfus one." And I haven't brought myself around to watching it because I just didn't. I just assume it's going to be painful. Oh, Out of Towners! Yeah, I forgot that was him. Yeah, Out of Towners. You know, even Odd Couple Two is fun only because I like those characters so much. Um, even though it was years later, I don't even know if it was Neil Simon actually, but probably he's he's still around. Lost in the Yonkers. Um, did he also do Barefoot in the Park? I really liked that one a lot. Uh, I haven't seen it yet on this list. That's uh, that's with yeah, uh, Barefoot in the Park. Yep. Yeah, Robert Redford and Goldie Hawn, maybe. Yeah, that's on his list. So good, love that one. No, not Goldie Hawn. I'm thinking of uh, I'm com- I'm com- I'm uh, combining it with Barefoot with the Steve Martin movie that was the remake. Oh, okay. That's the other tenors. Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. You're right. Ugh, I get them all. I get them all confused. Did you find that? Uh, did you find that Jonathan Silverman one yet? Oh no. Uh, was it after? I mean, I'm sure I sure I'm sure by cause I didn't know the name of it. 
Check just before Biloxi Blues because it would have been in the eighties. Moments away. Yeah, it's uh, Brighton Beach Memoirs. That's it. Brighton Beach Memoirs. Yeah, really great. It's just a very simple story of like a Jewish family in New York when the war is just starting. Um, and like, uh, um, very simple story, slice of life, but just no, Gene Sachs, Gene Sachs directed. I like him. Yeah. It, I really liked, uh, I love Jonathan Silverman coming out of that. I started, I, you know, I was a big fan of another actor who's just kind of fallen off the face of the earth. Jonathan Silverman. Yeah. We rewatched, uh, um, Weekend at Bernie's. Weekend at Bernie's with the kids. No, they saw it for the first time. And same thing. They're like, there's a sequel. It's like, yeah. There's, I, yeah, the sequel is terrible. But that's one that I, you know, at least it's fun. You know, it's so I stupid. love that they made, I love the concept of them making a sequel to that movie. Yeah. Uh, that is shot like five years later and takes place 10 minutes later. I love <laughs> this. Just the audacity of oh, that yeah. choice is so, uh-huh. and then. They take it exactly where it should go into utter campy ridiculousness with yeah. like voodoo dolls. Oh, it's just so bad. It's so bad, but it's, uh, it's, it's still fun. It still retains its eighties. Cheesy, cheesiness fun. Well, the funny thing is the first one as ridiculous and over the top it is, you buy it. Like there's, a, there's enough, there's enough going on that you're like, yeah, I yeah. kind of like, I, I was surprised by how much it didn't bother me rewatching it. Yeah. I was just expecting it to be like ridiculous, but I was like, I, I buy this <laughs> for yeah. some reason. The tone works. They know the kind of movie they're making. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm in. Absolutely. Like, you know, it's, it's super ridiculous, but yeah, they, it's, it, it makes a little bit of sense. If, well, it, it creates a set of rules and it follows it. it. It doesn't, it doesn't like constantly just kind of make some stuff up. It's uh, it's fun. It, and that's all it's trying to be too. It's a movie about, it, it, you know, it's a movie about a dead guy, as a, as basically a puppet right <laughs> with two idiots what are you what are your thoughts on like just to get back to uh the heartbreak kid like um you know there was a lot of those types of movies in the 70s the um the relationship the relationship comedy drama yeah uh, we're not we're not getting those i mean those are the kind of movies that don't get made anymore i think we're gonna see a change in that i think uh i'd love to believe that given what's happening in the world right now and how slow it's going to be getting back to people being able to make these giant blockbuster movies just because yeah. it's going to take a long time before there's a great article that just came out in the last day or two about that, about how it's going to be like a year or two before those films are back up and running just because they can't have that many people together. Like the, the, the policies that are going to be in place for people having to be vaccinated or Proven that they're like, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be movies that are back in this vein yep. that are gonna be able to be produced because you need to be able to do it with a crew of, you know, under fifty people for sure, probably closer to twenty. You know, so it's gonna be interesting yeah. if we're gonna start seeing this resurgence of these mid level movies because that's all we can make probably for the next year or so. Uh, so I wonder if we're not going to have a return to that or if it's just going to be more amped up television stuff. I don't know. Yeah, it's really, it's uh, hard to say. I'm going to ask you like a nerdy film school question type question. Oh, um, do you think, because Mike Nichols directed the graduate about, about five years before this movie. Yeah. Um, and it is very, very similar themes. And I'm yep. wondering, do you, do you think this is Elaine May's answer to the graduate? 
in a way it's like the yeah i was thinking that especially towards the ending it felt like which you were saying that the graduate predates this right yeah it's 67 i believe yeah i mean this definitely felt like it was a cousin to a movie like that um although it felt like it was almost what i liked about this and and in your idea of it being her answer to it is that it's like Dustin Hoffman's character deserved to be punished more. Like she lets yeah. Groden feel like a bit of a stalker yeah. where, uh, you know, we're meant to believe that it's romantic in the graduate. Well, you know, they had very similar third acts, both of those movies. It was yeah. all like in pursuit in final pursuit of the girl. Um, and, uh, you know, in both cases, in both cases, it ends with, with the uh, character getting the girl. Yeah, it's very similar. Uh, you do feel like the one thing I do like about, and they both, and you both end with them both knowing they're tortured for life. Like yeah. this is going to stick with them, and it's not going to. At least the nice thing about this one is you feel like every other character is going to come out fine in the end. It's just Groden who's going to be in, in pain for forever. Yeah. He's the one. He's the one that's eternally damned. But in the Graduate, like that the whole every character in that movie is screwed for life because <laughs> yeah. of, because of what happened. Like his love interest, the daughter is things, you know, that she, her relationship with her mother is never going to be the same. Like yeah. they're all damaged for forever because of what's happened here. Or at least in uh, the heartbreak kid, it does just feel like it's just him. <laughs> Ultimately he's the one that's going to, uh, go from miserable experience to miserable experience with with bouts of joy in between where mm-hmm. everyone else is eventually going to be okay when they get free of him right yep <laughs> so that I, in a way that it, that is nice that it's um it's less uh yeah because I, I will say that there was something when i revisited the graduate uh, a year or so ago that felt creepy about dustin hoffman's oh character. my god it's- Super creepy. The whole movie's creepy. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, you know, uh, they're all creepy. And like, it, but it's the only, the only good person in that movie is the daughter. Yeah. And it's too bad that she's uh, not smart enough to, uh, to avoid him at the end. Yeah. Uh, but that, that does give us one that if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have the great Wayne's world ending. So we have to forgive it. We have to forgive it. At least that. Absolutely. Is that, was that, was that the first Wayne's world or was that Wayne's world too? That's the first Wayne's world. Um, no, it's the second one. Yeah. It's the sequel. Yeah. Right. When she's getting married to Christopher Walken, uh, which I have to admit, I saw that before I saw the graduate. So, uh, <laughs> but I, but I did know that it was parodying the graduate. And I think that just that made me probably watch The Graduate faster than I would have. At There's point. a great SCTV parody of The Graduate where um, it's it's um, Bill Murray who's uh, the one who's like rushing to the church, and I can't remember why. I can't remember the specifics, but it's so funny. And then he just keeps stopping along the way, like he stops to get gas, and he's hanging around the gas station for a while, and. <laughs> It was such a great parody. And of course, why was Bill Murray even there? Like, it was just bizarre that he was on the show all of a sudden doing this weird graduate parody. Amazing. Uh, there's this great, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, Michael Arndt does this great, uh, uh, if you go to his website, he has these two really, really great uh, videos about structure. And one is called Beginnings, one's called Endings. 
And the one for ending is he deconstructs three movies he uh, and compares how they're all kind of the same ending in terms of just the, the way they arc and the way they shift through it. And the three movies are uh, The Graduate, uh, his own film, The Little, Little Miss Sunshine, mm-hmm. and Star Wars A New Hope. Yeah. And it's fascinating to see him drawing the line between the three films and why they work on the same kind of uh, emotional core anyway. It's really, really interesting for well, those nerdy people who want to... Uh, it's, it's one of the best like hours you'll ever spend in film school Wow! Uh, on your laptop if, if for those who haven't seen it. It's really That's great. That's really fascinating. I'm going to check that out. Yeah, the other one, Beginnings, is like 15 minutes. It's much shorter. And it's kind of like him showing, showing the, the Pixar method of how they do first acts of movies. But the endings one is really, really quite the quite the the thing to behold. That's really cool. Yeah, this this was good. Like I, I'm really glad I got around to watching this, and it did not disappoint. It. Uh, I was, you know what? I was worried actually um, going in for the rewatch because I remember how much how important this movie was to me. Like how much I loved it. Probably it was in my top 20 all time, you know, in my twenties, mm. it might still even be, I haven't actually kind of revisited that list, but um, I was really worried that there was going to be some, you know, I couldn't remember if, if, if he was like a real sleaze ball or not um, beyond the fact that like, you know, obviously he, he ditched his wife for this new girl on their honeymoon. Yes. Sleaze ball move. But I couldn't remember if it was like a real, you know, like if it was going to be a real me too issue or something, like if I was going to go, Oh, I can't recommend this to people anymore. Or, Oh, like this is not okay. No, I didn't I walk think, away with that. What I, I really, think, I think because it was Elaine May, I think because it was, yeah. you know, um, Elaine May, um, created it with, with, you know, even back then an eye towards avoiding that. So I was really surprised and impressed and, and thankful. Yeah, and what I like to the movies doing is what, you know, all the best movies do, where it's like every character is, is being smart and doing the smart thing. And what I like about his character, as much of a schmuck and as, as despicable as he is in moments, is that he he's up front. As, and he's, it's funny, he's telling little white lies all along the way. But he I love that, you know, in a lesser movie, you know, he would have lied to um, Sybil Shepherd and her family and not been upfront about yeah. the other marriage. But I, mean, I he like told her right away, right? Yeah. In the water, he told her. Yeah, I love that he didn't try to like hide that. And because that would have been like the lesser version of this where all of that gets, fa- he find you, you know, both sides find out he's lying yeah. at the exact same time. And yeah, but Mickey, Mickey and Maude, when that happened. Yeah, and so I really liked that he was upfront and honest, and and didn't try to hide that kind of stuff. And even you know, and it took a bit longer than he should have to tell his wife, but that's also pretty honest and in the moment. Uh, yeah, so I, I think I think that that kind of stuff went a long way in the movie towards making you not hate his character. Yeah. 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 And probably her. And then I think for me, it's like, I think my expectations for this uh, would have been different had I not seen uh, Mikey and Nikki, the other film, uh, another film, because knowing the tone of that and the style of that, I think before that I would have expected this to be a bit broader 
and mm-hmm. uh, and kind of sillier yeah. in some way. And so I'm glad that I kind of had seen that before, and it it brought my expectations to a uh, closer to what this was. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I forgot that it was uh, Neil Simon too going into it, so that was a nice surprise. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, trying to decide. I'm trying to decide if I had to choose which I like better, um, this or Ishtar. And uh, I haven't seen Ishtar. Ishtar, you haven't seen Ishtar? no. Okay, it's, well, that it's, might have to be that might have to be our next movie, Jeremy. Because uh, I, I do have I someone that, that it is. It is absolutely like one of my favorite comedies of the '80s. Like. I will, uh, I have another, uh, someone else, I can't remember who it was, but someone else has, has earmarked that movie, but we can maybe do it through. Like Charles Grodin has another amazing turn in it. Oh, great. Yeah. No, that one's definitely on my list and it's been my list for a while. We've just been trying to find time to, to sit down and watch it, but maybe we can make that a group thing. Yeah. It's, uh, it is fantastic. Uh, I don't know how, I don't know how it flopped. Cause it's just so, it's just such a train wreck. I love it. I can't wait. Any other final thoughts on uh, heartbreak kid? Um, just that I wish like, you know, I wish they still made movies like this. I still, I wish they made comedies that didn't have to be gross out party comedies that, you know, like I wish you could just do a, like a, a, a nice relationship comedy, like without having to turn it into American pie. Yeah, I think the only version we're seeing that is on streamers on television. We're getting uh, a version of that to some extent. You get shows like Catastrophe, and uh, yeah, but they still have. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't because I'm you know I, I have. Is that a TV show? Oh God, Ken, you have to watch Catastrophe. Yeah. You will fucking love it. It okay, is phenomenal. It's uh, I believe it's on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Um, it's a British show, uh, and I can't remember the names of it's, it's Sharon and Rob something, but it's, it's, it's an interesting backstory. It's, uh, it was created by the two lead character, the two lead actors. Yeah. And in, if I'm getting it right, they, uh, their managers put them together. Like we think you two would get along and mm-hmm. they, they kind of locked themselves in a room and came up with this, this TV series that is phenomenal. Uh, you will you will love it it's so good i just think you know i think as much as i love the movie um there's something about mary i think it absolutely destroyed um the everything that followed in the like in the relationship comedy vein uh yeah i think like i think the trickle down effect from there's something about mary is still being felt that's interesting it just kind of shifted the tone of it all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the closest we got after that to like things like this are eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, you know, uh, yeah. and you know, 500 days of summer had some kind of similar vibes, but that's movies a good, that, that's, a good, uh, I, that's a good comparison. Yeah. But those kind of movies are very few and far between. Yeah. 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 No, we certainly haven't been getting things like this or the, even those movies are now, you know, decades before yeah. our time, you know, yeah. I think 500 days of summer is 10 years ago now. Yeah. Everything's gone. So high concept and, or like, it's gotta be like 
five women on the craziest night of their life. You know, like, you know, comedy is now, it's just so strange, this new world of comedy we live in where, you know, through the eighties and some of the nineties, like every week, two or three new comedies were out. And, yeah. and like, there's just nothing anymore. It's tough. Oh, well, we'll oh, see well, if that changes. We still have the 80s. We still have we the 90s, st- I guess. We still have these ones to go back and revisit. Oh, yeah. the nice thing is there's still a lot of stuff that I haven't, you know, I missed the first time around. So I'm, I'm able to enjoy that the second time around. We can go well, back. I'm like, and, I love a good, like weirdly, I'm a, I, maybe not some of the newer stuff, but I'm, a, I'm, I was really big into romantic comedies. Like, yeah. I, 80s and early 90s. Like I probably saw all of them. Like I just, I just found them so charming. Like, uh, you know, obviously when Harry met Sally is, is like, you know, the pinnacle of that, but I would even put, I called it an anti romantic comedy, but it's still a romantic comedy in some ways. Like, you know, it's, it, I would still put it in that category. Yeah. This is on the AFI's top hundred comedic films list. Yeah. It's in there. I liked it. I, I, I thank you for, uh, for, adding it to the suggestion pile for this. Uh, I'm glad you did. I've been looking, I've been looking for an excuse to, to check it out. So thank Good. you. Well, now, now you got to see Ishtar. That's a huge black hole. Yeah. 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 It certainly is. All right. Well, thanks for taking time, man. Yeah, this was great. Can't wait to do it again. Let's all go. To thanks for joining us for the heartbreak kid. Black hole films is a proud member of the that shelf podcast network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter, at Lon Jeremy, and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.